John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees, who had been sent, questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I was at a restaurant with a couple this, uh, this last month, and one of, the, one of the people on the table ordered a beer. <clears throat> and the waitress looked at me and said, uh, may I see your identification? And I said, well, I'm not getting the beer. She said, well, the law is that if someone at the table gets uh, an, an adult drink, we have to card everyone. And I said, bless you. Here's my card. And, and I showed her my, my, my license because I just thought, man, I, I'm, I must really look young, right? No, it's, it's become a law now that in our, our state that if someone is ordering something, they, they don't want to offend anyone, <laughs> so they just card everyone. They do that now. They, they do that as a way of making sure that things are politically correct and no one's left out. Well, I, I, I kind of like that in one way. The other part, I don't like it. I don't like it because I, I don't want to have to prove who I am. But it's become a necessity in our days that we have some indication that we're able to prove who we are. Uh, I have a cell phone that we now do online banking. I don't know if you've done this. Now, I, I'm out of my league in this. I'll tell you up front, I don't understand anything. But when I sign on to my online account, I have a couple of questions they want me to answer that have already been pre-programmed, like what's your favorite uh, pasta, or, or maybe where were you born, or what's your dad's middle name, or something like that. So you have to do that and to sign in. And then, of all things, they, they then say, um, we're going to send you a code, and you're going to receive it by text, and you have to enter that to be able to use the account online. Have you ever done that? Uh, it, it's just, it seems to be more ponderous than it used to be. I mean, it used to be when, when I grew up, you just said who you were, and people were like, yeah, okay. But that's not anymore. Why, why is that? Well, because along with everything else that's changing in our world, crime is increasing, and people are being false and fictitious about who they are. Identity theft has become a tremendous problem in our country. Uh, I was talking with Chris Sherrill years ago, this was years ago. Chris Sherrill was telling me how a coworker of hers had gotten her identity by taking things from her purse at work and then going online and ordering things using Chris's identity. And it took Chris months to straighten it out. 
months. Well, when you and I begin to think about our faith in this culture we're living in, you may come up against a problem where people ask you, well, why do you believe in Jesus? What proof do you have that he is someone who deserves our worship? As we saw in the first part of the gospel, John's gospel, the first chapter, and by the way, if you brought your Bible, please open to the first chapter, because it's not my words that we're focused on this morning, it's the Lord's. And so as you look at John's gospel and you look at the first verses that are there, we learn about Jesus that he was not just someone who was created when he was born. He was someone who existed before birth. He was with God the Father. And through him all things were created. And the Bible goes on to say that though all things were created through Jesus and he was truly God with the Father, both them, the Father and the Son together, were united in such ways that they, were one, they are one God. That though God, through Jesus Christ, created the world, when Christ entered the world and became flesh, no one knew who he was. No one knew. As we get into the text this morning and we continue with John's gospel in the first chapter, we pick up with verse 19, and it's so amazing how we get into this business about talking about someone who's not Jesus. You say, what do you mean? Well, up until now, verses 1 through 18, we've been talking about Jesus, except for verse 6, where it says, God sent a man named John the Baptist. And one of the things that's really amazing is we're talking about this morning someone who's not Jesus. Well, why do we need to do that? Why does John go to all the trouble to explain about Jesus' pre-existence, and now we're talking about a human being named John the Baptist? Well, this morning I'm, I'm, I'm using the outline that Logan wanted to preach this morning, and I hope I do him justice. By the way, don't you just love the way Logan preaches? Isn't he wonderful? So blessed to have someone who is able to lead us through the Scriptures so adequately and precisely. And, and by the way, he'll be preaching next Sunday. I can't wait to sit under that teaching. But as he goes through the outline, he wants you to think of three things as he studied the scriptures this morning. And I want to use this outline, if I can, try to do justice to what he had prepared. In that he wanted you to think about the fact that we need a Messiah. That secondly, there is a Messiah. And lastly, that Jesus is that Messiah. That we, we need a Messiah, that there is a Messiah, and that Jesus is that Messiah. Well, what are we talking about here? Well, please notice when we deal with the fact that we need a Messiah, we need a Messiah because the Bible says that we have been lost from God in our sins, that we're separated from God in Christ. And the question is, how then do we know that Jesus is enough to get to God? How do we know that what Christ did on the cross is enough? What about Muhammad? What about being Jewish? I hear oftentimes of people who come into faith in Jesus Christ and then they become Jewish because they lack understanding something about the Christian faith. Isn't there more than one way to God? And the answer from John's gospel is no. Because God the Father and God the Word who was with God in the beginning became flesh and through him have revealed to us who God is. And so when you think of Jesus as God's expression of himself in flesh, Jesus is that full revelation. And therefore, if you look to anyone else, John says, you are going down a road 
that doesn't explain who God is. It hides from us who God is. Now that's, that's drastic. I remember going to a seminar at a, at a Presbyterian seminary where the question was being asked by the professor who was teaching this class for pastors, is Christ the only way? And the whole premise of the class was to create doubt that maybe there are other ways to God than through Jesus Christ. This is in a Presbyterian seminary. And I thought, hasn't, haven't they read the first, gospel, first chapter of God, John's gospel? Well, please notice that when we get into the gospel, one of the things we find in verse 6 that John, was, John the Baptist was sent by God. If you look in verse 6, you'll see that, that this, there was a one sent by God. His name is John the Baptist. It says in verse 15 that he said, John the Baptist, he said that the one who would come was greater than him because though John came first, the one who was coming after him was living before him. In other words, John, again, points to the fact this Jesus, who before he was born, was God eternally with the Father. And therefore, because of that, this Jesus is someone you should consider very carefully if you are not a Christian. This Jesus is not our imagination this Jesus is not a person we have thought up or devised as a way of being a way to God. This Jesus is the one true God. And so because of that, the reason John came and the reason Christ came is because we need a Savior. We need a Messiah. It's amazing when you think of this because if you look in verse 20 and look at it very carefully, it says, he, he did not fail to confess, but freely confessed, I am not the Christ, the Messiah. Christ and Messiah are the two ways of expressing the same meaning of the one who is anointed by God for a special task. He goes on to say, and pointedly enough, that he is the Messiah he, or John says, John the Baptist says, he is not the Messiah because he needed to make sure that was clear because the Pharisees were asking questions. They were coming, these religious leaders, excuse me, no, the, in verse 20, it was the priest and the Levites, those who attended the temple of God, who, who led the people in worship. They were coming to John the Baptist and saying, well, are you the Messiah we anticipate? Are you the anointed one God promised from the Old Testament? Are you it? Or maybe you're Elijah, because in, in, in the Old Testament, in Malachi 4, chapter 4, verse 5, God said he would send Elijah who would announce the coming of the Messiah. And he says, John the Baptist, are you, are you that guy? Are you Elijah? But even more, they didn't know who he was either. They didn't know who John was. They didn't have a, a way to card him. And so they said, could you possibly be the prophet that Moses spoke about in Deuteronomy chapter 18? Could you be that prophet that God promised us who would come and reveal God to us? Well, in all of those circumstances, whether it was, whether it was the Messiah or whether it was Elijah the prophet or whether it was Moses, in every one of those circumstances, John confesses this. He says, no, I'm not. Either, I'm not any of those. 
Now, immediately, if you know the Bible, you'll immediately recognize that John has said, I am not Elijah. But then if you go, interestingly enough, if you go to Matthew chapter 11 and you look in this passage, you'll find out that Jesus says, if you are able to hear this, John the Baptist was indeed, verse 14 of chapter 11, and if you are willing to accept it, John the Baptist is Elijah who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. People who who are looking for reasons not to believe the scriptures would immediately say, see, there it is. The Bible cannot be trusted because John the Baptist has just said, I am not Elijah. And in John, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says that John the Baptist was Elijah. There seems to be a conflict there, doesn't it? Until you turn to Luke chapter 1, and you look in Luke chapter 1 and you find out that there, when Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, finally speaks, he says that this child who would become John the Baptist that is not even born yet will have the spirit of Elijah and the power of the prophet. Do you hear it? So when John the Baptist says, I'm not Elijah... What he's saying is, I'm not the reincarnation of Elijah. I'm not the reincarnation of that prophet. John the Baptist was Elijah's spirit. He was in the power of that prophet coming and preparing the way of the Lord. You see, what John was really emphasizing is that there really is a Messiah. He's not it. Neither are you, by the way. Did you know that? You say, what do you mean I'm not it? Well, if, if you don't believe in Jesus, then you believe you're going to save yourself. You're your own Messiah. Some of you are that way in your family right now, and you're killing your family. You're trying to solve everyone's problems because you can fix their problems. You're going into everyone else's business and you're imposing yourself in such ways because you love them, you desire to help them, but we are killing them. Why? Because you're not letting Christ be the Messiah. You're trying to be the Messiah for them. That's the human tendency. The most amazing part of this is where, where you find in this passage where, where John now the Baptist reveals that he is not the Christ. Then you begin to say, well, who are you? Who are you that we would believe what you have to say? We're not even talking about Jesus anymore. We're talking about the fact that now a man has come who is pointing to Jesus. How do we know who he is? And in verse 21, you find that very thing happening when John is, is confronted. Look very carefully. When, when, uh, when those Levites came to him, they said, then they asked, well, then who are you? Are you not Elijah? He says, I'm not. Are you not a prophet? No. Finally, they said, verse 22, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John the Baptist replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the desert, make straight the way of the path of the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? 
What is he doing? He's calling back to those words that God gave through the prophet Isaiah. He is identifying himself by identifying the very word of God that would foretell his coming, meaning that his witness to who he is is God. And what he is speaking is God's word. And those who hear God's word and know it to be true and receive it understand that they need to prepare because there is one coming who is finally going to be the fulfillment that God promised. When John the Baptist says, I am none of these, he is not saying I am not nothing, to use a double negative. He's not saying I'm not anybody. He is saying, I am one who has come to tell others this Jesus is who we've been waiting on. Do you know that's your role now today? Because that same word, as we discovered last week, that John came to testify, to give witness, is now the calling of those who believe in Christ that we are to give witness to a world that is darkened with sin, that Jesus is the way to find forgiveness and be reconciled to God. I want you to think about that because what we've just gone through in the last two years is COVID. And in that whole business of COVID, our government has done everything it can to inoculate us, to tell us that if we have this, in, this, this shot, that somehow we'll be saved from dying. And we still see people dying. And when you and I deal with people in our culture today, no one, in fact, we have people who are not even in church for two years because they're so afraid of dying and rightly so because it is a disease that no one seems to be able to understand but here's the question if they did die if you did die today do you know you're going to heaven or is that something you're still working on you see how that opens a whole door for us to talk to people about Jesus? You run up against someone and says, man, how do, how, do you, how do you go around being so confident? You can say, because I know the one who came to save me. I know the one who I belong to. And whether I live or die, I have no fear of facing God after death. Why? Because you're such a good person? No. It's because I know what God has done for, his, for me in Jesus Christ. And I put my faith, my trust, my hope in him alone. You see how that works? That's the witness of the church. Throughout church history, the church has endured because we have not hoped in government or ourselves. We have put our hope in Jesus Christ, in Christ alone. Most amazing thing, if you turn to Matthew, if you turn to Matthew chapter 11, you'll, you'll read there some powerful words that Jesus gives. They, they are words that really speak about, more than anything else, his understanding concerning himself. He says concerning John the Baptist in chapter 11, verse 11, I tell you the truth that among, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What is Jesus saying? 
Well, he's pointing to the fact that John was the end of the Old Testament era. He is the last prophet that will ever be sent. Because we now have received the son, Jesus, and he speaks and reveals God for us. We don't need another prophet. We don't need Muhammad. We don't need Krishna. We don't need Harry Carey. We don't need anyone. You say, well, what's that so important? Well, think about it this way. When my mother went through a difficult day in her life, when her husband said, I no longer love you, she felt abandoned in every way. She was looking for hope, and the people who surrounded her were people in the Christian science religion. They don't believe in Jesus like you and I do. And they surrounded her in such measure that they helped her through that period so that she fell into idolatry. And it shaped her entire life so that she was not walking with Christ. And the most amazing thing was that she needed Jesus. And praise be to God, Jesus never abandoned her. On her deathbed, as she was dying of cancer, I walked into the room at 3 o'clock in the morning feeling like I needed to be there. And I know now it was being led by the Lord, the Holy Spirit himself. And as I walked into the room, she looked so overwhelmed and burdened with fear. And I sat down, and a couple of minutes later, she said, Honey, I've lived a good life, right? And I looked at her, and I said, No, Mom, that's not it. And it was suddenly like a light entered the room. Her, her awareness came awakened. She was like, oh, that's right. It's Jesus. And peace came into her body, literally. Peace. And so John the Baptist, as Jesus teaches us in Matthew 11 is the last prophet of the Old Testament. He closes out the Old Testament era which predicted the coming of Jesus. But John the Baptist is also the first one who is witness to the new kingdom, the new era of God's mercy, the fulfillment of what God has promised. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that glorious? You see, there really is a Messiah. There really is a Savior. There really is one that God has sent, and you can put your trust in Him alone. What about John the Baptist? Well, John says, I'm just a voice. You hear that? I'm just a voice. I'm a voice. What does a voice do? It speaks and points us in a direction, doesn't it? John is, is so humble here. He realizes that he is not the main subject. I, I remember distinctly the time I was, I was at a wedding and I was hearing a pastor tell of a story where he was presiding at this wedding and he knew something was deeply wrong because, because as he came into the wedding, there was the groom beside him and the best man on the other side of the groom. And they waited on the bride to come into the room. And as the bride came in, you know that, that beautiful music that ranks up and, and it gets all exciting. Here comes the bride. Here comes the bride. And as she comes to the door, the minister notices something's wrong because he can see that she's not looking at the groom who's beside him. And so he keeps looking at the bride as she's coming down the aisle. And you know where she was looking? She was looking at the best man. 
And he noticed that as he was looking at the best man, he looked over and the best man was winking at the bride, giving her the hairy eyeball, you know. And he said, at that point, I knew something was really wrong. Well, how wrong would it have been for John the Baptist to say, I am your answer? How wrong would it us to do the same thing? How wrong it would be for me as a pastor to tell you, I have all the answers to your problems. I don't. Jesus does. You see where John is going with this? He wants those who read his gospel to be so focused on Christ, knowing that he is God from the eternity beginning to being enfleshed in human form, to being glorified in his resurrection, to being on high of the right hand of the Father, that Jesus and your faith in him is not just valid, it is the only hope of humanity. And it is for that reason we boldly proclaim that Christ is Savior and Lord, because there is no other. John says, I'm just a voice. I'm one who gives testimony. I'm one that cries out to people to believe in Jesus because there is no other way. Well, you could well imagine that that's going to be controversial, and it was. If you look at verse 24, you'll find out how controversial it was. Look at verse 24, the the Pharisees, who were they? They were the seat of Moses, the teachers of the law, the people who know God and his word, supposedly. They come to John the Baptist and they begin to come to him and challenge him just like the Levites and the priests did. And they say to him, well, who, who, who has sent you? Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? In other words, let me see your credentials, buddy. Card up. It's not a not an unreasonable question, is it? If what John the Baptist has told us about Jesus is so important that there is a Messiah, then how do we know he's telling us the truth? Well, notice verse 26. I baptize with water, says John the Baptist. What does that mean? Well, we believe in water baptism. We believe in baptizing our children with water. We believe in baptizing those who profess faith in Jesus Christ with water. But that doesn't cleanse you, and it doesn't save you. Baptism in that day was an activity that was common. It was common for both pagan and Jew to go through a ritual of washing their bodies to cleanse themselves before they worshipped their gods. It was also a a ritual for hygienic purposes that they would literally cleanse themselves. They would prepare themselves. And John's baptism was a baptism for the remission of sins. It was for those Jews who knew they were doing all the things the Pharisees were teaching them to do, but they still were not right with God. You see, there's the real problem with the law of God in the Old Testament. The law cannot save you. You remember the law? Have no other gods. Don't make idols. Don't take his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Do you remember the rest of them? Y'all are looking at me kind of blankly. Maybe I should put my glasses back on. You're still, maybe it's my glasses. Do you know the rest of the Ten Commandments? Do you? Don't lie. 
don't covet. All of those laws reveal something, even to the Jews, we are those people who break God's law. Well, what hope do we have? If you believe that you can get to heaven by being a good person, you have no hope at all. That's what John is saying. In, in the passage back in the beginning of the gospel, he says that God has given us grace upon grace. What does he mean? The grace of the Old Testament was that the law was given to show us our sins. The grace of the New Testament is that God has now given us one who is our atonement. He's the one who bore our sins for us so that we can have peace with God right now. Glorious. Powerful. The Pharisees said, well, who are you? Who are you, John, to tell us that Jesus is the only way? John says, I baptize you with water, but notice in the rest of the verse, verse 25, he says, there is one coming who will no longer need water as a way of proving anything. He will, he will come and he will do something even greater. Notice how he puts it. He says, I baptize you with water, John replied, but among you stands one, notice this, you do not know. Jesus could have been in the, in the crowd right then. And no one knew who he was. Verse 27, he is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Well, what is he saying? That's the one who's coming. And my proof is he is here. He's here among you. You don't even see it. Why couldn't they see it? Why couldn't they see what is obvious? And that is that Jesus is the Messiah. I, I got behind a little bit on this. I'm not sure why it's not advancing. Anybody help me with that? Why is Jesus the Messiah? Well, notice that in chapter 13, John records for us that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped it around a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and drying them with a towel and he, that he had wrapped around them. Why was he doing that? Because he was setting a new day where those who would believe in him would no longer pursue God by trying to do righteous things but become servants become servants of the one who was to come why didn't they see it I mean if you would have been there would you have seen Jesus by the way he has been in this room with us all morning do you sense his presence Why couldn't they see it? Well, they, they thought the Messiah, much like today, people think of Jesus as someone who's going to take care of my money problems. Jesus is going to take away my cancer. Jesus is going to serve me. No, you got it backwards. You were called to serve Jesus. He is the Lord. 
And so the reason the Jews didn't see it in that day was they were expecting someone who would bring peace into the world, someone who would stress the righteousness, would reclaim his people and make them a righteous people. They were looking for a military leader who would throw off the Roman oppression they were going through. They were looking for some prominent person who would restore the Jewish nation to prominence in the world. They were looking for some visitation of God where a human prince descended from David would ascend to the throne and then gather all the Jews together and they would be a people again. But that's not why Jesus came. John tells us. Why did he come? He came to reveal God the Father and to redeem the lost to those who call upon his name. John says he gives the right to become children of God. Isn't that beautiful? Well, what does that mean for you this morning? Well, here it is, closing. Y'all ready? If you need to shift in your seat, I know they're uncomfortable. If you need to shift, go right ahead. Here's what it means for you. If you understand what John is saying concerning Jesus being the one qualified to be your Messiah, your Savior, that means that Jesus has all authority in your life right now. A one who was anointed in the Old Testament was always one, especially who was a king. He took a kingly role. And so for us as Christians, for those who profess the name of Jesus, for those who call upon his name, what that means is we now say, Jesus is my Lord, my King, and my God, and I will do nothing apart from what he has said. Do you hear that? The second thing is it enables us to have a relationship with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was one that came in the Old Testament and temporarily resided upon whoever God was using for the purpose of fulfilling that promise of God. But now God in Jesus Christ has given the Holy Spirit to all those who believe in him so that they are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So that now God is within us, leading us, enabling us to love Christ. And then thirdly, this, this truth reveals that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that God had promised in the Old Testament. Now get this, the Jews are still waiting for this one person. You have come to know him. Well, what does that mean? Well, Paul writes in Romans, he says... Your relationship with Jesus is to be so powerfully evident that when Jews get around us, they look at our love for God and they become envious. And they wonder, how is it that Gentiles can love Jesus so much, can love God so much? Well, what's the point of all this? It's simply this. Jesus is the Messiah. And we don't believe in a concept. We follow a person. We follow a God who has become flesh and dwelt among us. Who has now ascended into heaven and has sent his Holy Spirit. And those who receive him have given the right to be called children of God. This is our testimony to the church, to the world. This is what we proclaim. This is why we are so adamant about sharing the gospel. I want you to think about this. 
those who don't accept Christ will be eternally lost to God. Eternally? Forever. Then how can they be saved? Through your testimony of what Jesus has done for you. People don't care about how good you are. Did you know that? They don't care about how much money you have. But when you talk about how you were an adulterer or a fornicator or an idolater or a liar and you begin to tell people how you know you did some really bad stuff in your life and that when you heard that God would forgive you if you would repent and believe in Christ, he did. That will bring people to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, as we come before you this morning and we begin to think about this Jesus, our prayer is that you would not allow the words of John's gospel to bypass our thoughts and our meditations, that we would settle our hearts upon this first chapter because it is the theme of the rest of the book of John. It is the guide to which we are to see Christ in all his glory. It is the introduction to the one whom we have come to believe in. It is the revelation that you have given the church by which we might correctly and clearly identify for all those who are lost and hungry to know the living God, the way in which they can have access to the Father. It is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, give us boldness in these days to be unashamed of Jesus. And where we sin, help us to turn and confess and refuse to continue living in those ways. And do so by turning to him, Jesus, the Christ, the one who saves us and is at work in us to make us more like him, both now and forever, to the glory of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the people of God said together,